Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcasts about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center to Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am chief editor of ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tatyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Volodymyr. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We will try to give you updates about the war right now, what is going on. And one of the key trends is that Ukraine is trying to counterattack and uh, it, these uh, attempts are successful. Yes, indeed. What we see now on the ground is that, for example, in the north of Kiev, in towns like Irpin, Bucha, Vorzel, uh, they're speaking about that uh, Russian army is surrounding for for more than a week already. We see also some successful counterattacks in the south, exactly in the Mykolaiv region and uh, already in Kherson region. And even uh, Pentagon said a few days ago that Kherson is no more under um, Russian control, which was not true at that at that moment. I think but that they meant Kherson Oblast, Oblast basically. But, yeah, yeah, but but they told us Kherson, and, but we see that there is some shelling in Kherson, so maybe uh, there is some preparation for this attack as well. And um, we also see that uh, Ukrainian army is very much successful in the east of Kiev, in, uh, after Brovary. They succeeded to push uh, Russian troops uh, some 20 or 30 kilometers uh, to the east, and then uh, uh, we see some... Um, uh, successful attacks in the east as well. But what is important is that uh, yesterday Russian uh, uh, information was, Russian declaration was that the first stage of their operation is over and they are focusing on the second one as they pretended it to be. And it is about uh, east. It, it's about to enlarge these occupied territories to the whole territory of Donetsk and Lugansk oblast. And maybe we can imagine that they will try to attack more Mariupol to get control over it and to have a kind of a passage to, to Crimea. And what we see is that the level of their demands is decreasing. So if they were talking about denazification, demilitarization of the whole Ukraine, and they were having as objective to, to, um, to replace maybe Zelensky by somebody else, but today they are talking about concentrating on the east. And... We see that what they do, they are trying to decrease their demands. Uh, what do you think about that? What kind of uh, trend is it? Do, do, do you trust it? Well, um, obviously, you, you're right that they are downgrading their demands. So the, the jokes in Ukraine is that we are in the 30th day of Russia's three-day war against Ukraine. The only major cities they have seized is Kherson and uh, Maybe there will be counterattack on Kherson. We will see what will happen. Uh, Ukraine is saying that Ukrainian forces are still controlling uh, Mariupol, despite all the all the uh, tragedies. At least a part part of Mariupol. Well, they they are saying that uh, uh, the Russians are controlling only only the suburbs. Yeah, they are deporting people from there. They are the deporting suburbs. people, by the way, and and this is also very uh, very worrying trends that they just take people from Mariupol from the you know regions they control and and uh, move them to Russia and basically making all this you know filming uh, forcing them to to say that they are grateful to Russian soldiers etc so 
if you see these reports from people from Mariupol in Russia, well, much probably they're not. Uh, people were just, you know, asked to do so, forced to do so. We don't know. But generally, we're talking about several dozens of thousands of people already deported from Mariupol to Russia. And this is worrying. Also, there are reports that uh, FSB is, you know, hunting people in Kherson. The active people, the active um, uh, people who are against Russian invasion and taking them to Crimea. But even today, we have seen that uh, people were trying to gather in Kherson uh, with Ukrainian flags, and uh, the Russian occupants were trying to stop them, so stop them from rallying by shooting into the air. So of course, um, of course, uh, the situation can be very hard for people in Kherson to to continue their peaceful uh, demonstrations uh, in in support of Ukraine when when you're just shot by Russian soldiers. And another element important to discuss is that starting from today, our according to official information from the Ukrainian side, Russians are shelling much more with missiles and much less with planes. And only one military Russian military plane was uh, destroyed by Ukrainian army yesterday. It means that they uh, take no risk to fly over Ukraine because we can presume that uh, Ukrainian air defense had reinforced in, in, in several weeks. And they are trying to, to make this kind of distant war, you know, so to stay, stay in insecurity and just shelling our cities like they did, for example, yesterday with, with Lviv. Uh, it is not about occupying Lviv. It's not about uh, that their tanks are approaching Lviv. This is just a clear sign to Joe Biden, who was present at that very moment on the other side of the uh, border in Poland. And he was making his speech. And it, in fact, this uh, shelling took place exactly when Biden spoke. So it, it approximately that, it, that uh, during these hours. So it was a clear sign that we are able to, to reach you quite far away from our border. But no more than that, in fact. So just we can destroy your cities, we can hit any kind of objective on your territory, but without any kind of um, uh, consequence on the ground. You know, it's, it could be kind of a war for destruction. You know, they, can, they still have a lot of missiles, I guess, and they still ca have the capacity to bombard Ukrainian cities with uh, missiles. But they cannot take control over territories. Unfortunately, this is probably their new strategy. So they will focus probably on the east, and because there is a big part of Ukrainian army in the east since 2014, and they will try to encircle it. And uh, this can be a, a big problem for Ukrainians, and I hope Ukrainians will not let Russians do that. Uh, but, uh, but for example, on other directions, they're really they're not, not advancing. They're, they have huge problems with supplies, with fuel supplies, with food supplies. Uh, there are many, many stories, many videos when Russians come to, to the stores and just loot the, the stores to get some food. Or they come to the village and ask for food. Uh, there are stories like that. But um, we will see what will happen right now. In the northern of Kiev, there are real big fights. So people in Kiev hear hear the sounds of these fights uh, every every hour, and uh, we see that um, th th there is a there is a clear counterattack on the northern northern west of Kiev, as we mentioned, Irpin, Bucha, Hostomel, Vorzel, uh, etc. Uh, on our native city, Brovary, just you know, some two weeks ago, 
there were fights on the on the uh, outskirts of Brovary. Basically, Russians were up Very to close. enter enter the Brovary, but now they are uh, driven off some 30 kilometers away. So this shows that uh, the the more they go into in, inside Ukraine into this territory, the more they suffer. And they probably understand it very well, and probably they're shifting the tactics uh, to hit by missiles uh, big Ukrainian cities, but to focus the land operation on the east and and on bus. And today we received information that they are they they at least they are thinking about organizing a kind of a referendum in Lugansk Oblast. So they refer to this idea that uh, self-proclaimed Republic of Lugansk is not only this occupied territory back in 2014, but the whole oblast. So they are, they are talking about that. Uh, we do understand this is not real because you can have no referendums during the war. This is a kind of another bullshit idea during the war. But at least they are communicating in their rhetoric. They are trying to focus uh, media attention as well to these eastern borders. And what is important is that uh, they try to present the military operation, what as they call it, in Ukraine like a success, because they have no other, other, other way out for Putin to save the face, because he organized all this, all this bloody war in Ukraine more than one month ago, and he has to show some results to his uh, citizens. And as far as there is no clear results, because nobody understands where this denazification stops and where it's over, what does it mean in fact, and where this demilitarization is always. So he has to present something concrete, something tangible, something you can communicate. So maybe really they are trying to present it like, okay, we'll take something, we'll make maybe some corridor to Crimea, it will be our success or something like that. That's the point. But the problem for Ukraine is that this will not be perceived as any kind of possible outcome way out of the war. So for for Ukrainian government, for Ukrainians, the only way to stop this war is to uh, to to get back all the territories, even territories occupied by Russia before. Uh, this is a state of things, so there is no no room for compromise, in fact. And um, because we already paid a very high price for, for, for during one month in terms of human lives, in terms of infrastructure, in, in terms of economy, in terms of suffering of people. Where you were talking about Bucha, Elpin, Warsaw and other cities. But look, yes, Ukrainian army is counterattacking there, but there is no more cities like Bucha, Irpin, Warsaw, partly. There is a kind of apocalyptic landscape this is no not, not more serious and we know if, uh, no we know people our friends who lost their homes so it is something dramatic when you your your flourishing city is transformed into kind of a ruins this is something unimaginable yes and these cities are really f- flourishing bucha is one of the most beautiful kiev suburb and we really have uh, in our in our past we were several several times a year going to our friends in Bucha, having you know, enjoying life incredibly. And these these were also people, you know, very very often middle class people, the, the future of Ukraine. And uh and yes, uh, we we are asking our friend if our friends if their houses are still there. They they don't know because you have no connection right now. This is the reality. One month ago there were, you know, celebrating some things in, in their cozy towns, in their cozy, uh, cozy um, house, houses near the fireplaces. And, and now, you know, there's these people, uh, they, uh, even after the victory, imagine, 
in several months, we don't know exactly when, the war is over. And some people, some Ukrainians, they go back to their homes. Uh, and some, they just have no place to go in this country because their home is destroyed and they have, they're displaced, they were displaced for security reasons, mostly with kids. And then you have no place to go in this country. So this is something dramatic. Exactly, exactly. And we don't know what what will happen to us, right? So um, well, while we're recording this podcast, um, what else? So if if Russians uh, really retreat, and there are many signs of it, at least from uh, from around Kiev, the question is what what will happen next? What will will what they will do? They still surround Chernihiv, and uh, they are. They are destroying Chernihiv with artillery fire. They still surround uh, Kharkiv. They are destroying Kharkiv with artillery fire, with missiles. So basically, uh, the biggest concern is that uh, they will just destroy everything out of despair. With missiles, maybe with tactical nuclear weapons, maybe with chemical weapons. Unfortunately, we cannot erase any of such options from from the table. We cannot, uh, we cannot exclude it because... And- yeah, and I think the problem is that they, they uh, themselves they don't have a clear project of what they're going to do because we think now that their plan was to conquer Ukraine in three days, just to to take Kiev or take Zelensky and transform everything in three days, and that there were no clear plan B for if they fail, and what they are doing now it's a kind of a terrible improvisation. They are just doing their changes, their strategies, their tactics every day according to the situation on the ground and we really don't know what will happen next. And this is a kind of this terroristic nature of this attack because terroristic attack is when you never know where and why you will be uh, you will be victim of this attack. So it's so Ukraine, the whole Ukraine feels like a little bit like a victim of this or potential victim of this terroristic attack. Exactly, because they created the vacuum of safety. So, for example, until yesterday, you can you, you could be feeling more or less safe in Lviv. Many uh, displaced persons went to Lviv from most Kiev, of them even from yeah. Kiev because Lviv is a fantastic city with good infrastructure, with good culture, with good restaurant culture, etc. And uh, and people people from Kiev who are accustomed to it, of course, they were considering Lviv as their primary destination. So now, I mean, if if there are missile strikes on Lviv, what can what can you expect? So basically, this is. This is their strategy, right? Therefore, Ukrainians are saying Russia is a terrorist state. I mean, nobody believes us. I don't know if, if, if people are still hearing us. But terrorism is associated in the world as a kind of a force, anti-systemic force, anti-state force. So if you're weak, if you don't have a state, you use terrorist, terrorist attack just to seed panic uh, when you fight against a stronger enemy. Well, Russia is different. Russia is a state terrorist or terrorist state it uses the state uh, for terrorist attack it uses the state mechanisms the state institutions for seeding this terror for seeding this this fear and uh, this is what happening that you can be in any place which you consider as a safe in ukraine the enemy can be physically thousand kilometers away but you can still die in your uh, in your apartment in in the next minute because of the missile strike 
Yeah, exactly. And this is exactly why they bombard, for example, hospitals and civil infrastructure. This is not to destroy uh, military potential of Ukraine, uh, but to, to create this terror inside the country, to make civilians flee the country. So they use this... Um, uh, this uh, tool just to to create this lack of security for 42 million 42 million of Ukrainians which are uh, now trying to survive and trying to to resist as well and yeah and also uh, this is what we call a deportation by missiles because basically <clears throat> they're trying to force Ukrainians to flee the country they want Ukraine without Ukrainians they succeeded to do that previously, as we know, because Holodomor was part of the strategy to have Ukraine as a territory, but without Ukrainians. Uh, and uh, as they were doing during Soviet times, to ch just to bring in some other people from Russia, for example, just to change the democratic st demographic mm -hmm. structure of a given territory. <clears throat> it's not science fiction. That's what they have been doing in Crimea since 2014 push those people who are, don't agree from the peninsula, Crimean Tatars, Ukrainians, even some Russians, then bring uh, people who are loyal to Putinist regime. So unfortunately, this is their tactics, uh, uh, deportation by missiles. But I would say that I'm sure that Ukrainians will not, uh, will not be fearful and will not flee. Those people who, who fled the country are mostly women and kids. And uh, as you can see, men are willing to defend Ukraine, and women as well, of course, there are many women in, in, the, in the army. Uh, but uh, the land operation, Ukrainian land successes, uh, doesn't mean, unfortunately, that uh, the end of the war can be, can be near, because, as I said, as we, say, we were saying, they can just turn to this missile strategy. But we will see. Therefore, Ukraine needs so much, you know, equipment to down these missiles. Therefore, Ukraine is, you know, screaming around the world about closing the skies. Because as you can see, on the land, Ukraine is well prepared. We need to fight, even not these jets, because as you said, the jets, they are afraid to send, send the jets, but the missiles. We need to down these missiles as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. Yesterday, there were several positive news. We've listened very attentively to our Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, and he seemed to be quite optimistic about the talks with, uh, with Joe Biden and without the, this American-Ukrainian dialogue about what was going to happen. But we do understand that a lot of things are not public at that moment. Because Kuleba was very, uh, not talk, not talking a lot about that, and Mr. Biden was so reserved in his um, in his message to about to Ukraine about this potential clash between uh, United States and oh, NATO countries, NATO's organization and Russia. But at the same time, we understood that there is a clear support of the uh, of the West towards Ukraine, and they they are doing a lot without making a lot of PR about that, and this is important that's very effective during the war and there is where we place a lot of our hopes now because of missiles because of this all this uh, aggression in the air and on the ground and at that very moment we have no doubts that ukraine together with its uh, international alias will win this war Yes, and interesting what's happening in Russia. Actually, uh, there is a lot of talk of Mr. Shoigu and Mr. Gerasimov. 
uh, who uh, were not public since 11th of March. And, uh, for example, we are doing regular monitoring Russian media thanks to our colleagues from Texty.org.ua. You can see it on our Twitter under the hashtag Against Russian Lies. So our yesterday's public publication is that Shoigu was not mentioned in Russian propaganda since 11th of March until uh, 24th of March. For example, our colleagues analyzed RIA Novosti and TASS, uh, two most uh, notorious Russian news agencies. So for almost two weeks they were absent from, uh, from mentioning and suddenly in the past days from 24th of March they get lots of lots of mentions in both RIA Novosti and TASS. Why they uh, get lots of mentions? Because basically Russian propaganda tries to respond to these uh, rumors that there is something wrong with them. Either they are arrested or they have problems with, uh, with uh, health. Uh, and some rumors that Mr. Shrigu has, has a heart attack. This is just to tell you that probably there is nothing okay in inside Russia, inside the Russian le leadership, because they understand that uh, the operation in Ukraine is a failure. This is uh, this was explaining Ukraine podcast by ukraineworld.org. Tetyana Harkova from Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko, chief editor of ukraineworld.org follow us on google podcasts apple podcasts youtube soundcloud follow our twitter we are very active on twitter you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld stay with us and stand with ukraine